You're listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6 and 7. I really want you um, all this Sunday, especially, we're going to be looking at lots of different scriptures. So to turn into the text itself. Um, to look at the passage. We're kind of in the habit of not putting the scripture on the screen um, to kind of help you, encourage you to, to look at it in your own Bible. And we even provide Bibles on all the tables. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. You could use one of ours. Um, so turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 uh, through 7 is what I'm going to read. This is a great prophecy of the coming one. It says this. This is probably a passage that is read a lot around Christmas time. And so I thought it's very appropriate to read. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And of course, Isaiah is written a long time before Jesus came. And we as believers that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, look at this passage and say, look, to us a child has been born. And we, we celebrate that. We read this passage during Advent and the Christmas time because we believe as Christians that this is talking about Jesus who would, would set up a kingdom, that kingdom that we believe in, and that kingdom would have no end. And so um, let's pray today. Let's open in prayer. God, we do thank you. We love you. God, as we look at your story today of how you entered into this world, God, teach us, open our hearts, open our minds to you, to to seeing something we haven't seen before, some bit of truth, some bit of encouragement for us individually today. God, we praise you, we worship you, we love you, Jesus. And everybody screamed, amen. Um, So we began this week with a pop quiz don't worry, we're not going to take a pop quiz right now. We already took a pop quiz. Raise your hand if you were here three weeks ago and you remember taking the 10-question the pop quiz. It was a fun quiz that I think almost all of you, besides maybe a couple of you, uh, failed. Do you remember failing the test three weeks ago? And it was basically just 10 questions, and it was trying for you to separate the real Christmas, like what does the Bible really actually say, versus some of the folklore and the pop iconic imagery that we have. So some of the questions were like, how many wise men were there? And you all probably said three, because that's what every Christmas play has, three wise men. But does the Bible actually say how many wise men there were? No. And so we don't really know. And so that was the answer. The Bible doesn't say, although lots of you circled the answer three. There were three wise men. Well, we just don't know. Uh, Another question was, uh, what type of building was Jesus born in? What did you all want to say? like a barn or something, right? Because that's the imagery, that's the nativity scene that you have under your Christmas tree. But the Bible really doesn't say what building or kind of building he was born in. Um, Let's see, how how soon after Joseph and Mary reached Bethlehem was Jesus born? Everybody wants to say like that night, right? Because in the Christmas play, it's like they barely get to Bethlehem and Mary's like about to pop and they have this baby that night. But the Bible really doesn't say. In fact, it does say that uh, we'll, get, we'll talk about this later, that they were probably there days, if not weeks, maybe months, 
in Bethlehem before they gave a, a birth to Jesus. And so um, I think that's, th- those were some of the fun questions. One of the other ones that a lot of people missed was the shepherds followed the star to baby Jesus. And that's not true. It's the magi that followed the star. The shepherds just had the sign that a child has been born today and has been placed in a manger. And so all these like images and ideas that we have, like we, we vision uh, we have this vision of the, the nativity scene in our heads and under our Christmas trees and every Christmas play has this image of all the shepherds, the wise men, Mary, Joseph in a barn with animals, the star is overhead and the angels there too. And it's like all these things have been simplified and mixed into the story so that we just have simplified the, the Christmas story. We have simplified the pregnancy of Mary and all the details of that. And this, we have simplified Jesus' birth and then the things that happen after that when Jesus' childhood. So today um, we are going to talk about the real Christmas. All this month we've been talking about Santa Claus and how that, whatever, and, and we've been talking about Kris Kringle, and we're talking about like the day of Christmas and pagan stuff and Christian stuff. And so today we are going to do what I promised that we would do three weeks ago, and that is to actually look at the Christmas story. And so if you want to, you can turn to Matthew 1 and 2 and maybe put a bookmark in there or something because we're going to be in Matthew 1 and 2. That's where the Christmas story is, as well as in Luke 1, 2, and 3. And so you could like mark, put your finger in that book somehow so you have those two passages because all of today for the next hour uh, or a little bit less we are going to be looking at Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1, 2, and 3 and um, that's the whole Christmas story that those five chapters in Matthew 2 and Matthew 3 and Luke are the whole Christmas story so we're going to look at those passages kind of order set the order of events today give a bunch of details talk about the story because I think the details do matter and I think maybe it's not wrong to just have this image of the nativity scene and the wise men and the shepherds are there and there's there's pigs and cows and whatever and Jesus is like in this little fluffy little hay manger thing like that's okay but maybe the, some of those de- it just doesn't it's not that simple the story is a beautiful one and it's a story worth looking at and studying and and so that's what kind of the mill sunday school is about today's lesson is going to be a little nerdy but that's a good thing right yeah okay good so um a few announcements before we begin this um uh next week no mill sunday school the week after that no mill sunday school Oh, two weeks. I know Christmas uh, falls on next Sunday and the New Year's Day falls the Sunday after that. So there's no Sunday school next week or the week after. The next time we will see you at the Mill Sunday School is January 8th, 2012. So it'll be next year. See you next year is what I could say at the end of this lesson and confuse you all. But it really literally will be. Anyways, um, so no Sunday school the next two weeks. Try to remember that or else you'll be here and, and you'll be really confused on Christmas Day. Um, so no Sunday school, Christmas Day, or New Year's Day. Um, and it's the, the reason is mainly to give our leaders the, the two weeks off because we have did, done Sunday school on Easter and we've done Sunday school on Christmas a long time ago. And it usually is just a bunch of leaders making a bunch of coffee, putting out a bunch of pastries. And then you all are usually with your families in the main service and it's, it's a shenanigan because the, the services are at different times. So we're, we're just going to cancel the next two weeks to, mainly for our leaders who work so hard every single week doing the coffee and foods and setting up, tearing down. So that's for them. Good job, guys. Um, I'm looking at here for announcements. I guess that's the announcements. Yeah. All right. Oh, if you're new to Mill Sunday School, um, welcome. 
There's, there's visitor cards on all the tables. You could fill that out. Give it to the nice people as you leave. They'll give you a CD, a worship CD from the mill. That's our main ministry for college and 20-somethings here at New Life. That's every Friday. However, not the next two Fridays. You've kind of come, if you're here visiting for the first time, you've kind of come at a weird time in which, like, you're here today, but then we'll see you in three weeks. So um, just know that, know that that is the way it is because of the holidays. So, Let's get right down to it. I want to give you a discussion question, which we often do discussion questions in the Mill Sunday School. I think they're important. I think it gives you an opportunity to talk to the people around you, meet them, and talk about something serious. And so um, I want you to get into groups. If you're at a small table, you could just join a big table. Uh, If you're not at a table, you could just join one or turn to somebody around you. And what I basically want you to do is, can you fill in the details to the points of Jesus' birth story? So what I want you to do is if you got some notes, and so we call them skillets, so on every table should be a skillet, or you were given one when you came in, there should be all these points. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Is there ten points up there? So we're going to go through all ten of these points today. These are the points of the the story of Jesus' uh, birth, Mary's pregnancy into Jesus' birth. And so all I want you to do is to, and you can open up your Bibles and, and look. It's not a closed book, but I'm only giving you like five minutes. So if you really start getting into scripture with your friends at your table or whatever, you'll probably run out of time. So as much as you can off the top of your head, think about the prequel to the story. Specifically, the prequel is um, the story of John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then like angelic visitations. Who gets those? And then Mary visits Elizabeth. Who's Elizabeth? Where does she go? Why does she go see her? What happens? Trip to Bethlehem. Can you say anything about that and why they have to go to Bethlehem? The birth. Can you tell me how many pounds, how many ounces Jesus weighed? Or what does the Bible actually say about the birth itself? Uh, the shepherds, who were they? What, what's the story about the shepherds? Jesus' circumcision. Uh, do you know anything about that? The magi. Maybe you know that there's not three of them. There, we don't know how many of them there are. But what's the story behind that? Just to add some details. Because we're going to look at all these things uh, today. And then Egypt, why did they have to go to Egypt? And then why, uh, basically the last one is they end up in Nazareth of of Galilee. Why did they end up there? What we plan to do with this, uh, the rest of the time that we have in Sunday school is to go through all of these, looking at the scripture. Hopefully you'll leave here being able to separate biblical fact from the folklore and these iconic images that we have around Christmas time that may or may not have biblical fact Uh, at their basis. They might just be stories and legends that have crept into our story and kind of diluted it and kind of simplified the story. And so we're going to look at all the details today. We're going to go over tons of stuff. It's going to be the story of Mary and Joseph having baby Jesus and then what they do with him as a child, uh, i.e. the the Egypt, Egypt, flight to Egypt, coming back to Nazareth, etc. So we're going to look through a pretty huge section of Jesus' childhood and these five chapters, Matthew 1 and 2, and Luke 1, 2, and 3. And so let's begin with the story. And I think every story, um, every, I think, maybe say it this way, every, if, if you are a mom and you've been pregnant or you are pregnant, then you have a story of your baby and your pregnancy. If, um, you're a dad, then you know, you know, your, your wife's pregnancy or, and going through that process and having the child. I just think about Erica and little baby Jay. Look at him. Do you see his picture? He's, he's just right back there. So he's, you can see him in real life too. But he was just born about five months ago. And uh, that, that's a picture of Erica as she was pregnant uh, five months prior to Jay being born. Five months, anyway, five, five months prior to now, 
That was Erica. Anyways, so we have all these stories of like when we found out we were pregnant and um, our first ultrasound and how the doctor later on would, would guess that it was a girl. Like the doctor was like, I guess that I think it's a girl. Not sure. So we were excited to have a girl. And then the doctor was saying, no, actually, my, my previous guess was just that a guess. I was wrong. You're going to have a boy. And then, um, you know, we took different trips and, and traveling with Erica, who was pregnant. And then the, the day finally arrived, uh, July 21st, around 8 a.m., we finally had Jay. And then going through you know, all the cool things of being a brand new parent. Like we just have stories and we could tell you the stories because that time when, when she was pregnant and then we have Jay and now, now he's still a little baby there. Like the, it's just very impressionable things. And we're just so filled, especially when she was pregnant, just so filled with anticipation and expectation and hope that all these stories, like we could just sit down and probably talk, I don't know, maybe for an hour or more about all the things that happened for the pregnancy, the birth, and then on into his first couple months. And so like that, um, today we're going to talk about the story of Jesus' birth. I imagine his parents, Mary and Joseph, told Jesus the stories surrounding his birth. I imagine those stories were passed on to the Bible, uh, the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke. They found out about these stories and wrote them down. And they're pretty powerful stories. I mean, we, we do celebrate Christmas in this time with this expectation and this hope of looking back and saying, guess what? Our God actually came to this earth in the form of a human. He came into this world how pretty much every human comes into the world, being born of a woman. And, and that's our story as believers, looking back and talking, uh, sharing the story of how God entered into this world. So the story is an important one. It's, it's fun to read. It's fun to think about, especially around this time of Christmas. And so um, let's get our facts straight. Let's, let's separate Bible facts from fiction and, and folklore that has crept in. And so we begin with the prequel. This is is in Luke only. The Gospel of Luke shares this big, long prequel to the story of Jesus' birth, whereas Matthew just gets right into the birth, and then Matthew has a few stories of after the birth when Jesus is a young child. But it begins with this guy named Zachariah, who will be John the Baptist's dad. So stick with me for a little bit. So John the Baptist's dad, who lives in Judea, that's southern Israel, goes into the temple. So he must have been some sort of priest, whether he was the high priest or whether he was just a regular priest, or I'm not sure you could Read it yourself, and it, the, the, the details are kind of lacking specifically. But he goes into the place where there's the altar of incense, and an angel appears to him. Do you know what the angel's name is? Gabriel. Yeah, it's the angel Gabriel appears to uh, Zechariah, the father, the, the soon-to-be father of John the Baptist. And Gabriel um, says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. Now, what I didn't tell you just a second ago was that John, uh, that Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, are very old. old much older than they should be be able to give birth to a child. And so it's a miracle that they are going to be give birth to a child. And so Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, if you're reading along, you can in verse uh, 18, Zechariah asks the angel, which is very similar to a story that I'm just about to tell you. So Gabriel was talking to Zechariah. In a couple minutes, we'll share another story of Gabriel talking to a person. And this person kind of says the same thing. So we'll see that in a second, not to confuse you or get too far ahead of the story. But Zechariah says, how can this be since I am an old man and my wife is well along in years? And, and Gabriel, the angel, Gabriel, the angel rebukes him. I am Gabriel. I stand at the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. And now you will be silent. He's 
Gabriel is making Zechariah mute until this happens. And so that's his punishment for doubting or just for asking, you know, how can this be? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. How can this be? Well, Gabriel kind of, I don't know if he freaks out. We don't know. I'm just adding in details because it's fun. Um, but Gabriel freaks out and, and silences him, mutes him until the time in which John is born. And then, of course, we have this, this nativity of Elizabeth. This is a painting of the nativity of Elizabeth, not the nativity of of Mary. And, and so Elizabeth is with child, um, even though she is old and um, past the years of giving birth. And so that's the story. She's going to be born, uh, ha- have John, who will be called John the Baptist, in her belly. And so that's the prequel of this story. Are you with me so far? Okay. Now, meanwhile, up in north, way north of the hill, hill country of Judea and Jerusalem, way north, about 80 miles, is a little city called Nazareth in the area of Galilee. Meanwhile, while that's taking place, we have angelic visions for two people in Galilee. The first one that is mentioned um, in the book of Luke is the vision of Mary. An angel comes to Mary. What's the angel's name? Gabriel. Yeah, the same angel that just came to Zechariah comes to Mary. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid. I'm looking right now at Luke 1, um, what am I looking at? Luke 1, 26 starts off with God sent an angel to Gabriel. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to, your, to her, greetings, you who are highly favored, which is a really cool, I mean, Mary is highly, not just favored, but highly favored. Uh, and it says, um, the Lord is with you. Mary was great, greatly troubled. Uh, at the words and wonder what kind of greeting this must be. Duh, it's an angel. It's, anyways, uh, but she would, of course, she'd be worried and troubled. Anyways, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Uh, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. And what does Mary say? Well, Mary says something very similar to what Zechariah says. Now, Zechariah said, how can this be? And then he gets muted. Mary says, how can this be? <laughs> and since I am still a virgin. And the angel, instead of like flipping out and making him mute and getting really mad, um, is very tender with Mary and just ex- explains what will happen. Doesn't make Mary mute or anything. It just says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you from the power of the Most High, will overshadow you, and the Holy One will be born and he will be called the Son of God. And, and then the angel Gabriel goes on to say, even Elizabeth, your relative, we don't know exactly if it was mother-in-law or I guess a cousin or aunt, we don't know. It just says your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And so that's the vision given to Mary. Mary becomes pregnant. And Luke leaves out the whole part about Joseph. Matthew includes the Joseph part. Because imagine if you were a dude and you were engaged to a girl and you had not slept with her and she becomes pregnant. What would you be thinking? You'd be, you'd be freaking out. You, you, she cheated on me. Let's, you know, let's get Jerry Springer involved. Let's freak out. Um, let's call this whole, the whole thing off. Let's get divorced. And so that's exactly what uh, Joseph plans to do. Now, Luke doesn't talk about Joseph or the vision or Joseph's wanting to divorce Mary because she, uh, in his mind, maybe cheated on her. He didn't know. But 
Matthew includes the story of Joseph having a vision of an angel. An angel comes to Joseph, and it doesn't say here that it was Gabriel. Uh, It could have been. We just have to assume either way whether it was Gabriel or not Gabriel. We don't know. It just says angel. An angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. That's Matthew 1, uh, 20, it looks like. Um, and so that's, so that's the story of, of Joseph finding out that his, his soon-to-be wife, his engaged, his pledged-to-be wife is, is pregnant and not by him. An angel uh, tells him the, the, what's going on, and he decides to not divorce her. And, and so goes that story and that, that we all kind of know so well. But that story is in Matthew, not in Luke. And so, continuing on with the story, Mary visits Elizabeth. Now, why does Mary go to visit Elizabeth? Well, the angel in Gabriel told Mary that she's going to be pregnant, even though she's a virgin, and then says, even your relative Elizabeth is going to give birth to a child in her old age. So I just imagine, imagine yourself being Mary, thinking, okay, um, I, maybe she took sixth, sixth grade health class, so she knew enough about how babies are born and, and what's supposed to happen. Um, and she was a virgin, and so she's pregnant now. And so the only other piece of information that this angel said was even your relative Elizabeth is going to give birth in her old age. So I imagine that's a reason enough for Mary to want to go down and check it out. I mean, this is way before Facebook and letters and emails. Although there's a really cool video called What If Mary and Joseph Had Facebook. Have you seen that? Anybody seen that? Nobody? Nobody's seen it? Go YouTube something. Gosh, guys. Anyways, um, it's, it's cute. Anyways, um, so Mary wants to go check this miracle out that her old relative Elizabeth is pregnant. So Mary makes this journey. It's about an 80-mile journey from the north. If you could see this map, I know that it's really small and it's hard to read. But she goes all the way from Galilee, Nazareth, which is a city of this, I guess, province, if that's the right way to say it, in Galilee, all the way down 80 miles-ish south to the hill country of Judea. Judea, and Judea is Jerusalem, and next to Jerusalem, about six miles south is Bethlehem. So Mary goes all the way down there to visit her relative Elizabeth. Does she go alone? I don't know. Was Joseph there with her? I don't know. Was she traveling in a caravan? I don't know. It doesn't really say. It just says Mary went down to see her, this 80-mile journey. And it says in Luke that when they see each other, um, Elizabeth cries out in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. This is Luke 1, 42-ish. Um, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you will bear, um, but why am I, so this is still Elizabeth talking, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon, and then she says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and she, blessed is she who has believed in the Lord that would fulfill her promise. And so there's this awesome greeting of Elizabeth and Mary, they're both pregnant. Elizabeth is, is about six months further along than Mary, it says. And the, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb jumps. That's little John the Baptist because she saw Mary. And then Mary sings a song that's called the Magnificent. And a part of that quote is in your skillet. Um, the quote of the day um, is, is basically, it says, glory be to God. And that Magnificent is a Latin phrase that means glory. And so it's often called Mary's song. Um, this praise be to God is often called the Magnificent. And you can 
can go read that. It's a pretty awesome poem and just a praise towards God from Mary, finding out that, that you know, Elizabeth really is pregnant. So this miracle that, that's happening is actually happening. It's, it's real. And so Mary, we think, it doesn't actually say, and so um, oh, we think Mary goes all the way back to Bethlehem, or excuse me, all the way back to Nazareth. So Jerusalem, Bethlehem are in the south from where the arrow is starting in Judea. Mary, we think, goes all the way back up to Nazareth in Galilee because the next thing that happens is the trip to Bethlehem. Now, there's some people that think that, well, maybe Mary, when she went to meet Elizabeth, stayed there, and it was just Joseph who went alone to Bethlehem, and he picked up Mary on the way to Bethlehem from Jerusalem because that distance is only six miles. I don't know if you've ever heard that or try, try to fill in all these blanks, but that's what some people some people think because the, the, the story usually starts out in Luke 2. If you've ever um, heard like a, the Christmas passage being read, most people will flip right open to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, in the days of Caesar Augustus, um, he issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. And then it goes on to say, so Joseph had to go to his town um, in Bethlehem. That's where he was from, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him. And so they maybe, or maybe just Joseph goes down. We don't really know. I mean, some of these details are like, which kind of really confuses us because, you know, we have this image of this. You know, I don't know if you could see this image. I know it's uh, light in here and it's hard to see the slide sometimes. But this is Mary and Joseph. And of course, Mary's riding a donkey. Joseph is walking. There's a big star, which is like, wait, that's a different part of the story. So it's kind of like this iconic image that we have of Mary and Joseph. And of course, a donkey gets thrown into the story, heading down from Nazareth, this 80-mile journey all the way south of, Be- south of Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But, but we don't actually know if it happened like that because Mary was potentially already down there visiting Elizabeth, which is kind of weird. Did anybody know that? Is this news to you? It's just kind of interesting. And so the, how this story goes, um, all of its details are yet to be filled in, I guess. But Mary and Joseph, they make their way to Bethlehem. Um, what's confusing about this picture that is probably on like, uh, billions of Christmas cards is that the star of Bethlehem is there. It's like, well, no, that, that's confusing because the star of Bethlehem happens much later. We'll get to that part. So don't be confused. So um, where are we at? Mary and Joseph, they do make their way to Bethlehem, and we should now start talking about the birth of Jesus. Many Christmas plays and pageants seem to have this detail that, that Mary and Joseph just barely make it to Jerusalem, excuse me, to Bethlehem, and they have the baby that night. But the Bible actually says uh, in Luke 2, so it was while they were there. So they arrived in Bethlehem. While they were there, the days were completed for her uh, to be delivered. And so it's like, wait, so they were there for days in Bethlehem. So this whole idea of like trying to find a hotel room and they're running around, there's no room at the inn. Like that's just kind of all made up folklore that enters into the story. What really happened is they made it to Bethlehem. They were there for at least several days, if not weeks, maybe months. We don't know for sure, but they were there. It wasn't this big rush. And they would end up staying there for years, by the way. They end up staying in Bethlehem for years, as, as we will come to find out in this story. So They get there, the time arrives for Jesus to be born, um, and and all it says in Luke chapter 2 is, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, 
Uh, this is Luke 2, 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room uh, in the guest room available for them. And so I think the King James says there was no room in the inn, which gives us this idea that, oh, they were looking for a hotel room or something. It's like, no, that's just kind of our modern interpretation of the events. The, the actual word in the Greek um, is kataluma, uh, which is the same word used in other places for a guest room, like when Jesus will later on go tell his disciples to prepare for the last dinner, uh, the last supper. He says, go see about a guest room. Go see about a cataluma that you can use for the, for the last supper. And so, it's, so it's, there was no room in this guest room. And so they take Jesus and they place him in a manger. Do you know what a manger is? Yeah, it's like a food trough. And so here's an ancient one. This one's made of stone, if you could see this picture. And it's uh, an ancient Middle Eastern uh, trough for feeding animals. Now we, as Americans, I I only hear the word manger when it applies to Jesus in the manger. I've never heard anyone say, yeah, and they placed Jesus in a trough because it's like, oh, sick, gross. They placed him in a trough. But that's the point. They placed him into a gross trough that animals ate out of. Everybody say, sick. And it is kind of sick. And it's like, what in the world? And so, so I'm a new dad. Jay is, is uh, almost five months. And so I can tell you that during the nine months Erica was pregnant, all we did, I, I exaggerate a little, but all we did was look for chairs and little strollers and car seats and this bumpo high chair thing and a baby Bajorn thing to hold the baby in and a crib. And we talked about getting a bassinet. And I mean, that's all we did for nine months is where's the baby going to go? What little thing are we going to put the baby in? Oh, what if he wants to go into his bouncy chair? Oh, I guess we obviously need a bouncy chair. And so it's just a culminate acquiring all these things for the baby to be placed in. Any young parents will also, or if you're pregnant or, you know, if you're a young parent, you will say the same thing, that you spend nine months finding things to put the baby in, right? Anybody else with me here? There's a few little babies here. Okay, so, which just begs the question of like, what in the world were Mary and Joseph doing for nine months that the day finally arrived for him to be born and they were like, what are we going to put him in? I don't know. Well, I thought you had something to put him in. Well, let's just use this makeshift manger, wash it off first, hopefully, and put him in that. And so in thinking about this, I'm kind of maybe just reading into the story a little bit as a new parent, but I just imagine Mary and Joseph maybe being ashamed that maybe Joseph is like, I mean, what's Joseph's job? What does he do? He was a car. Why in the world? You, nine months, man. You, you would think you could make something other than a trough to put this baby in, right? I mean, I'm not even a carpenter, but you know, I, I know where Home Depot is. I could find some screws and whatever. I could put something together, which just really kind of, I, I just imagine. So here's me just kind of reading into the story a little bit um, and kind of having fun with it and thinking about it. But I think as I was preparing for this message as a new parent, I just thought, how much shame and maybe embarrassment did Mary and Joseph have when, you know, maybe the, the, the fact that they didn't have anything to place Jesus in was the fact that they were so poor that maybe they just made this 80-mile journey from Nazareth and didn't have, you know, space or anything to carry anything with them. And they didn't have the money to go out and buy a bassinet or something you're actually supposed to place the baby in. And so maybe there was shame. Maybe there was, you know, Joseph as this new father thinking, I don't know if I could do this. Like I have a brand new 
wife, and now I have a brand new baby, and we don't even have a place to put this child. And I just imagine embarrassment and um, just thinking, how are we supposed to do this? You know, all these angelic visitations, this is supposed to be God. This is supposed to be awesome. And here we are struggling. We don't even have a place to set this baby in, and which is a part of, so imagine that, having these thoughts, if, if you're a young man or a young woman in here, having those thoughts of, yeah, we have this child and we're not ready we're so poor, we don't even have a place to put this baby in. It ends up being placed in like a makeshift bassinet, a manger, a gross trough that animals used to eat out of. That's, what, that's the only thing that we have to place our baby in. Think about that image. We'll talk about the shepherds and then come back to this manger scene in this story. So the shepherds, um, in, in the Gospel of Luke, it mentions these shepherds up on a hill watching their, their sheep. And an angel appears to them and says, something awesome has happened today. And of course, this idea of a shepherd, uh, I know that I have, I've only met a few shepherds in my life. I'm about to tell you the story of when I met a shepherd. Has anybody ever met a real life shepherd? There's like three, four, five of you of, of a group of 106. Okay. Um, so, so not many of us really have met a shepherd or know a shepherd. And we ha- maybe have just this biblical image of a shepherd, like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And so we have this high image of like, oh, it must be awesome to be a shepherd. No, it's not awesome to be a shepherd. Shepherds stink. And so here's a picture of a shepherd. I just Googled, because um, I only met a shepherd. I think only one shepherd in my life. I was riding a bus in Tibet because me and uh, two other friends friends. We were in Tibet. We were in Lhasa, the capital, and we were going to another town. I forget what we were doing exactly. It's years ago. But we were sitting on this crowded bus, and there was a seat next to me. And on to the bus, like, we just stopped in the middle of nowhere, and this guy got on. And I, this isn't him. This is just an image that I googled. Um, imagine this guy getting on the bus and sitting next to you. Can you see? Can you hopefully see? This guy's just in ragtag clothes. He stinks. He sits next to me on the bus. I'm like, gosh, this guy stinks. But of course, I smile uh, and, and say, the only words I knew in Tibetan, Tashi Delik, which is hello, basically. And so he said, ah, oh, Tashi Delik. And then we had nothing else to say because neither one of us, I didn't speak Tibetan, he didn't speak English. And so we're just sitting there like, oh. And then I was like, oh, I know. I'll give him a piece of candy because his breath is horrible. And so I reach into my pocket. I take a piece of candy and eat it give him a piece of candy. He didn't know what to do with it. I was like, oh, unwrap it. And he's like, ah. And, and so he unwrapped this piece of candy, puts it in his mouth. And then he's like, oh, maybe he's thinking, I'll return the favor. So he reaches into his gross little pocket and he pulls out a string. And on this string, there's little balls of cheese. <laughs> he puts the string in his mouth and like pulls on it to get a ball of cheese off, takes a bite of this little ball. I mean, it's out of his pocket. No wrapper, nothing. A ball of cheese, for goodness sakes. Gross. He pulls it out of his pocket, bites the string, pulls the little ball of cheese off. Then he bites the cheese ball and hands me the cheese ball. Sick. Sick. At least I knew enough about mission trips uh, to know that when someone gives you food and there's a language barrier and you can't tell them you're lactose intolerant or gluten-free, what are you supposed to do? You eat that piece of cheese that came out of the shepherd's pocket. 
thick, and it, was, it tasted as gross as you can imagine. It, something coming out of a gross shepherd's pocket. So anyways, I tell that whole story to just that we in our culture have this high image of, oh, they were shepherds. How cool is that? No, it's not cool. They're like barely homeless men looking after sheep that are wandering around. They don't shower. They, they work with animals all the time. They're probably covered in poo and, and sleeping on the ground, and sheep come over and poop on their heads. I mean, that's the shepherd. So anyways, um, as the story goes in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2, and there were shepherds living uh, out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, to this group of shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all the people. Today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. When was he born? Today. So today, the, the, uh, a child has been born. A Savior has been born where? In the town of David, which is Bethlehem. So um, today, what day today? He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And so the, the, the shepherds go out into Bethlehem, which I imagine a, a brand new baby born that day would be pretty easy to find. You just ask around, hey, has any babies been born today? I mean, it's a little town of Bethlehem. It's not like a huge city, a metropolis that they're trying to find one of many babies being born. Was, Jesus was probably, I'm just guessing, the only baby born that day. And so they go wandering around Bethlehem, trying to find uh, uh, the baby that was born today. They find him, and sure enough, just as the angels say, he's in a manger. And so going back to that idea of, like, Mary and Joseph, just thinking, that how are they going to make it? You know, they're, they don't even have a place to set this baby. They have to take a makeshift manger, grossness, covered in grossness, and maybe wash it off and lay their own child in that, because that's all they have, thinking that, you know, maybe the Lord isn't watching, maybe... Um, that God's not with them anymore. You know, they had these visions. They, they knew all this thing. I don't know. I'm re- kind of reading into the story at this point as a new father, just thinking what they must have thought is they had to place, uh, and, you know, just the thought of placing their child in a, in a trough. But that, that thing of Jesus being placed in this trough becomes the sign for the shepherds when they find him. I imagine they just said what the angel said. It's like, yeah, we found this. They were told that a child has been born today. He's going to be the savior, and we're going to find him in a manger. And it, it goes on to say that Mary stored these things, or treasured these things up in her heart. And maybe it's just, I'm reading into this a little bit, but just thinking that the thing that caused them embarrassment and shame and like, oh, we can't make it. We, we can't, we can't, all we have is a, is a trough to set our baby in. That becomes the sign that this is the Savior to the shepherds. I mean, how neat is that? It's just, I mean, reading into it a lot, I, I realize right now, but just thinking that, that whatever it is in your life that you're embarrassed or ashamed of or struggling with, maybe that's the thing that God will use to, to glorify himself. And, and, and so that's um, just a thought that I had while preparing this message, and, and hopefully it's just an encouragement to you. So we continue with crying baby in the room. Is that our baby? No, it's a different baby. Anyways, it just adds to the story. You don't have to leave if you don't want to. Um, so the next part of the story is, is the circumcision of Jesus, which is never really a part of, of, of the Christmas story, but I think it should be um, because like every good Jewish boy um, would be circumcised um, on the eighth day. And so they make this journey. Here's a blow up of the map of Bethlehem. You can see how close Bethlehem is to Jerusalem, about six miles from old city to old city. And so they make this six mile journey on the eighth day. They go, they present him into, in the temple. Where's the temple? 
in Jerusalem. So they go to the temple in Jerusalem from Bethlehem, the six-mile journey. They go to the temple. They present him before the Lord. He's circumcised. If you don't know what that means, I'll tell you later. Um, and and, and they, they circumcise little baby Jesus in accordance with the whole Old Testament promise that little Jewish babies on the eighth day, as a, as a promise, as a um, I guess just this promise of the Lord, they will be circumcised. So Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. And we have two really cool individuals at the temple. The first one is uh, Simon, this prophet, this old man, dude, that you should read about. We don't have too much time to talk about him. But, I mean, these are things that maybe should be in the Christmas story, but I never hear them a part of the Christmas story. There's this dude named Simon, a man that was promised that before he would die, he would see the Messiah, the Hebrew word, the Greek word Christ. He would see the English word, the anointed one come, the one that's been promised. And so Simon sees Jesus and is, is overwhelmed. Another character uh, at, the, at the temple is Anna, the prophetess, this really old woman who's a widow. It says all she does is fast and pray all day long in the temple. And she praises God and spoke to all the people waiting for the redemption of Israel when she sees Jesus. So here's this, you know, this, the simple act of, of, of circumcision that was very normal at the time. Everyone brings their, their young male children on the eighth day to the temple to present to the Lord, to get uh, circumcised on account of the promise in the Old Testament. And these two people are there, Simon and Anna, the prophetess, and the, the prophet are there, and they just give joy to God upon seeing baby Jesus, which just adds to the story, I'm sure, that this must be really who the angel said um, Jesus is, that, that this whole virgin birth thing, this, it's real, it's awesome. And so from there, we have the story of the Magi, which, which is, maybe it's, the Magi are always a part of the Christmas story, so I don't know why the circumcision story doesn't get to be a part of the, the, the Christmas story, but it isn't, for whatever reason, according to our folk legends. But here's the Magi, and don't you always picture the Magi just like this, three of them? One's a white dude, one's an Arab dude, one's an African dude. Isn't that, I mean, I just saw Wonderland. Wasn't, isn't this the exact image that we, that we present because of our Christian folklore of, of what the wise men look like? First of all, there's three of them. Does the Bible say how many there actually were? No. In fact, the Eastern churches, Eastern Orthodox churches, their tradition is that there was 12 wise men, three, 12, who knows how many there actually was. And why are they always, one's a white dude, one's an Arab dude, one's a black dude. Like, it just says they were from the east. So, like, if you're in Jerusalem and you look east, you're looking at, like, you, you would, if you're thinking about who's from the east, you would think about Arab men, you would think of, about maybe Indians, if you go further east, and you would think about Asians. So how does a white guy get to be, I don't know, or even like the African. The Africans would be a South, you know, from, anyways. But anyways, it just, you never stop to think about some of the things we think about and teach. But anyways, so these are the wise men. Um, they, which is just an insane story to me, that they're looking at the stars. They're basically astrologers, like magicians, looking at the stars, and they know that a savior, a king has been born which is just like, stop and think about that for just a second. You're looking at the stars and you know a king has been born and they're actually right. And so they show up in Israel. They ask, where's the king? Where, what do they say? Where's the one who was born king of the Jews? And everybody's like, duh. Micah 5.2 says, Bethlehem, um, though you are small, you will, uh, will, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel. So there's this prophecy in the Old Testament that the ruler will come from Bethlehem. So these wise men, these magi as they're called, these magicians, come to 
come to Israel and like, where's the king? And they say, oh, the king is prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. So they head down to Bethlehem, which is just a continuation of the story. And then we have the Bethlehem star. So it's not the shepherds that follow the star. It's not Mary and Joseph that follow the star. It's the Magi years later, because when they find Jesus, it says, um, the, the Greek word is pation, which is a word for toddler. So this isn't like Jesus still isn't in the manger at this point, I imagine. I imagine he outgrew that thing, and he's a toddler potentially running around because that's what the difference between an infant and a toddler is the running around. So it's years later. Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem, and these, these dudes that are astrologers follow a moving star. I mean, how cool is this? They follow a star which moves and stops over the place where Jesus is found. And so they go in, they see Mary, they give him gifts of frankincense, incense, and myrrh, the, these tree saps and this gold, um, these very expensive things. They give it to Jesus. And then it says, uh, right as they were leaving, as the Magi leave, uh, and this is Matthew now, 13, says, when they had gone, the Magi have left. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, basically says, get up and leave, because Herod, the king, or the, the ruler of uh, of the region is going to kill your child because there's this whole story of the Magi come to Herod and Herod gets jealous that there's a king. He's like, dude, I'm the king. Shouldn't be other kings. And so Herod decides, I'm going to kill this baby, decides to kill all the babies under two in Bethlehem. I mean, not a good political move in my opinion. But anyways, um, so in this dream, Joseph here's an angel saying, leave, go to Egypt. And so they leave that night. So here's another iconic image that's cute, I guess, of once again, Joseph and Mary. Mary's on the donkey carrying baby Jesus and the Egyptian uh, pyramids. But they go to Egypt to flee from Herod. They, they uh, have another dream after a time period. We don't know how long they were in Egypt. But Joseph gets another dream that it's okay to go back. And so where do they go back to? Well, it ends up that they they, they go back to Israel and there's, there's something. They may be still afraid to be in Judah because of um, another ruler that they're just afraid to go back to there. So where do they go back to? They go back to where the story started in Nazareth, in Galilee. And that's pretty much the entire story of, of Jesus being, Mary being pregnant, giving birth to Jesus you know, Jesus being born, the events that happen as he's an infant, the events that happen as he's a toddler, and that there's just this line uh, that Jesus, at the end of Luke uh, chapter 2, that they went to Nazareth, because that's, I guess, where they were from originally, where the story started. They went to Nazareth, and Jesus, um, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor um, with God and with man. So here's a painting of Jesus working on some carpentry things with his dad, growing up how all children grow up, learning from their fathers, their mothers, growing in wisdom and stature in favor of the Lord and with man. And so we, we kind of conclude now with this, with this image. I don't know if you could see this on the, the PowerPoint here, but of, of the nativity scene. And now you can just realize, you know, after we just went through all these events, how simplified this iconic image is for us. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying how simplified it is that we have a barn with, with Mary and Joseph, Jesus is in this nice, fluffy little chair. It looks I mean, look at that chair. It looks like a lazy boy. It's like, no, that's not the point. The point is he was placed into a trough. But anyways, um, and there's shepherds there, and there's the wise men there, and there's the star angel there. And it's like, wait, those are all different stories that we kind of just smash into this one image. And so today's Sunday school, you know, going back to 
um, why we talked about this whole story, I think is this, this bigger idea that the details matter, that the story of how God entered this earth matters. And I want to give you a discussion question. You could stay as long as you want to d- d- discuss this, um, but we're, we're going to kind of conclude and pray now. And then the discussion question I want to give you to talk about as you leave, you could stay and discuss this, or if you want to get to big church, you can. But the discussion question is, what's the meta narratives? in this story. If you, if you want to stay extra and, and talk, I think this is a big question here. And the meta-narratives is just a cool, impressive word to use, by the way, but it just means what's the big point? What are the big themes in, in the story of all the things we just talked about? You know, you could talk about, well, Jesus came to fulfill prophecies. If you're reading through this story, it's like, then they went to Egypt to fulfill the prophecy. Out of Egypt, I called them. Or Jesus was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy. Uh, in Bethlehem, you know, the, the Savior is born. Or these things, these, the prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus' story is the big theme, the narrative. Or maybe you could just talk about how God himself enters into this world and chooses two very um, um, poor individuals, and, and God comes into this world kind of through shameful means that God is born. I mean, if God himself comes to this earth, you, th- you would think that we would have something better to put him in than a trough. And God, if God comes to this earth, you would think that we would have some, some place for him to be born, except for uh, maybe there's no room in the guest house, so he have to be born somewhere else and be placed in a manger. You would think that he would come and be, you know, be like this rich person that would come. And it's like, no, that's the point that God came into this world and he came through the most humble means I can imagine. And so um, that's the kind of the discussion question. Uh, what, what's the big point of this story if you wanted to stay and talk? But I'll close this in prayer and then we won't see you officially in the Mill Sunday School until three weeks on January 8th. And so um, let me pray and close our time. God, we do thank you. We, we praise you for your story, that we know bits and pieces of your story, of you being born on this earth. God, we do praise you. We worship you, Jesus, as God, as Christ, as Savior. God, in this time of Christmas and Advent, God, we we do give you glory. We we read these stories. We reread these stories. We look at them with hope and anticipation that, that you were who you said you were. You were God who came to this earth. And Father, we love you. We, we praise you. We thank you for the story. We worship your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, stay and discuss this question or we'll see you in three weeks. Peace out.